Cling, 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 cling. Story time, story time. Absolutely. Let's go. I say it. Three, two, one, go. Hello, and welcome to Ungodly, the Magical Grimoireum. The podcast where we discuss topics of the occult, mysticism, ghosts, and more, as well as the pioneering people behind them. It's going to be a strange adventure that you and I are embarking upon, my love, but I look forward to it and I hope that everybody enjoys the tales that we weave together like Anasazi. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we can talk about how we kind of got here in the first place and decided to do this. Uh, sure. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea at all. Um would you like to begin with perhaps how we met? Yeah. Um, well, it, it's still COVID times and it was <laughs> um, this January. Uh, we were both going through a bit of a rough time. Um, definitely. Uh, we won't go into that. It's not very exciting or maybe too exciting. I don't know. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. But we, but we met and realized that we were kindred spirits right away, basically. And I think in the first week, amongst uh, sharing our love for each other, I also asked you if you'd want to do this podcast with me that I had been thinking about. Yeah, I believe it was the same day you asked if I wanted to move in with you. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Things just kind of went I've, like that with us, and I've, that's the way that it should be, at least between you and I. Yes, exactly. I've never moved that quickly, but when it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And I guess that's kind of why I'm interested in these topics, because I do believe that uh, there is magic in, in the real world, um, even if it's not in your face all the time. It's mm. there, and it is fascinating to learn about both uh in the present and historically yeah absolutely and you know i i would also argue that uh perhaps if it's not in your face all the time then maybe your face isn't necessarily paying enough attention because <laughs> <laughs> magic pervades everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I would agree with that for sure um and as an example today we're actually diving into the topic of alchemy um, and we're discussing a really cool historical figure. Um, some still say he is still alive today. Uh, he goes by the Comte de Saint-Germain, um, the Count of Saint-Germain. And uh, for this week, I've written a story about him, and I'm excited to read it to you. And next week, uh, you, Besh, will read your story. And I have just realized we never said our names. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> this These is, people will come to know us. <laughs> this is Besh. <laughs> I'm Avery. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's get into it. You know, on the, on the not saying our names, I feel it's interesting to mention. I just recently did a little bit of sigil magic, and uh, I asked for a name from the entity that I was doing the sigil toward, and uh, the response that I got was you can know the name of someone in a place you've never been. You can know the name of someone you've never met. You can't know someone that you marry without knowing them. Hmm. You can know me. Right. Until then, my name doesn't matter. That's beautiful. Beautifully said. 
Um, so yeah, we'll get into reading this fictional story based on true events and a true character or two. Yeah, as you mentioned, there's uh, France Anton Mesmer is also one of the characters that is going to be coming up along with Count Saint Germain. Uh, he's a very peculiar character. Uh, led a very interesting life, had a very interesting father, had a very interesting path. He is one of the fundamental people in the, the concept of animal magnetism, which is so frequently misunderstood as being you know animals right but, but no the animal part means animus as in anything that is animate that that which has the life force also holds with it some sort of electromagnetic weirdness the sort of <laughs> spooky action at a distance that einstein hated that we love <laughs> and uh correct me if you already just fit this in i didn't hear uh so the term mesmerism has actually been coined after him and it's yes. the new sort of way of saying animal magnetism yeah it's uh well it's not just animal magnetism that mesmerism refers to it's more so his whole uh conceptual framework that he was working with and it's a it's a posthumous eponymy um it, he i don't think that he would have liked the fact that we use the word mesmerism and mm. specifically the way that it's often used too okay. I, I think that would have deeply frustrated this man. <laughs> but basically <laughs> like everything has energy right and it can play off of each other like that's kind of a yes absolutely uh there's resonant frequencies is another way of uh you know absorbing it into a more new age dialectic but yeah, okay. it's it, it it's it's far more scientific with Franz Anton Mesmer. He he was trying to get rid of all the the woo woo of mysticism okay. and trying to figure out. But, yeah, how does but it's shit it's work? like science. So things can react with uh, one another, whether they're material or immaterial. Right. And in essence, that is alchemy. And uh, yes. we do alchemy today in chemistry, etc. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that there's a lot of attention due to be paid for the... No. Yeah, so I, I had a bit of a flub up there, but I was trying to assert the importance of uh, the alchemical concept of transcendence not just being from lead to gold but also from being um, material to conscious from conscious to spiritual from spiritual to pure concept itself mm -hmm. uh, but of course there's more to be said on that later perfect i've had my herbal medicine shop open for five years now it's a little white cottage just off the main drive in town, tucked partially into the woods. Inside is fitted with large freestanding antique medicine and apothecary cabinets filled with solutions and herbal in ingredients. I often hear people say that there is no science behind traditional uses of plants. However, to date, there are very little studies that even employ proper techniques to measure their efficacy. Before I started my business, I was really lost. I had just exited the throes of a nervous breakdown, brought on by my brain's relentless pursuit of perfection. And I mean relentless. I'd started to see the world as a cruel place where a person always has to watch their back. If you weren't always on, always buzzing, then everything would crash. 
When I was at my lowest, the lowest, think quitting your job, just about to commit yourself to an institution, I found something that changed my perspective and my nervous system. I had been looking through the old wartime chest in my bedroom in hopes of finding some good books, including my old biology texts, to keep me busy and thinking while at the hospital. My eyes fell upon a little book, The Secret of the Golden Flower, a Taoist work credited to Liu Dongbin of the Tang Dynasty, who is said to have lived 796 AD to 1016 AD. That clocks him at over 200 years old. Anyway, my grandmother gave it to me before she passed unexpectedly at 75, not very old in the least, so I, I, I really hadn't given it much weight. The book is about Niyadin meditation, or inner alchemy meditation. Niyadin itself is a set of esoteric beliefs as well as mental, spiritual, and physical practices used by Taoists to link in their lives, and most importantly, to develop a spiritual body that will live on forever. It is described in Niyadin that the body becomes a sort of cauldron, if you will, where the essence, chi, and spirit bubble in divine trinity. This reaction results in the creation of your eternal spiritual body. So, in this alchemy, your earthly state is the lead that is transmuted into the gold of this new, improved spiritual body that you possess, or the golden flower. Anyway, half an hour later, I was completely absorbed in the book, and it hit me. My original passion had been plants. Their ability to perform alchemy by synthesizing energy to turn into medicine for other living creatures. Their essence so pure and giving. I dabbled in getting to this essence by making tinctures and extracts and realized that I, it felt so good while utilizing the plants as if they held a magic that was clearing me out simply by working with them. Plants didn't worry about being their best selves. They just were by nature. That's what we have to learn from them, to take the positive energy and live in the moment. But as things go, I got hired for a high stakes job and the grindstone got to me. No mistake went unnoticed and I didn't have the confidence to stand up to others or even to just say to myself, it's okay, mistakes will happen. And so I was stuck in a vigilance hamster wheel until that moment on the floor reading The Secret of the Golden Flower. Being reminded of the consciousness shift possible, I was ready to start healing. It wasn't a short process by any means. It took several months before I was mostly back to my old self and I started to make plans to work with plants again and own my own shop. This particular morning, I am soaking some bark and berries in vinegar to make some powerful little tinctures. You see, the vinegar extracts the plant's active ingredients and concentrates them into a potent liquid. I really try to use fresh plants like these, but dried ones do suffice for ones hard to come by here in the Canadian climate. Cling, 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 cling. Story times, story times. <laughs> Part two. The traditional medicine shop owner, Charlotte, is sealing the lid on some festive looking bark and berry tinctures when in walks a stately and very pale man. The gentleman smiles and almost sings, Quaint shop you have here, Saint Germain, just moved into the neighborhood. He puts out an ivory hand. This fellow is very pale, even by white Canadians in the winter standards. Charlotte hesitates when offering her hand to the man. There is something different about this guy, something about his vibe, as some people call it. And that name, she's heard it before. Ah, the notorious Count of Saint-Germain. 
a man who had been born to the Transylvanian prince in the early 1700s, supposedly, and made his way over to Europe to wow the royal courts and high societies. He was known as a chemist, artist, and an evening party delight, who'd regale the society members with spectacular tales, as well as his fascinating alchemical findings. What was most exceptional about the man is that there are real accounts from people throughout the past centuries who have claimed to have cited and conversed with him. People including Franz Anton Mesmer, Catherine the Great, and Madame Pompadour, in 1710 and then again in 1760, not having appeared to age one bit to the Madame. How? It is said that he discovered the Philosopher's Stone. He goes in with some small talk. You do your own plant alchemy, I see, he says, pointing to the jar in front of her. Lovely, just lovely. Her shoulders relax a bit down from her enchanting, serpentine neck, and he proceeds. I've come for a solution for a bit of, um, let's call it a skin ailment. He looks at her and detects a hint of guilt in her eye as he says this. He's on the butt end of jokes about his pallor on the regular. I know we're in the dead of winter, eh? But, you know, you don't have to match the snow, right? <laughs> and other remarks of that nature. She says, Ah, a skin issue. I have something for almost everything. She smacks a hand on the oak wood counter and laughs. <laughs> what exactly is the problem? She asks. Oh, Age, he moans. She looks confused, rightfully so. The man doesn't look a day over 40. He continues. As a plant needs the sun's golden energy, I am in need of my magic elixir. Comprehension dawns on her face. This Saint-Germain fellow is looking for a concoction to keep his skin youthful. She smiles. Not a problem. I think I have what you're looking for. You're really into alchemy, right? Oh, yes! I've been practicing it for ages! Charlotte cocks an eyebrow. She walks past rows of darkly lacquered cabinets right to the back of the store. She presents to him Vitis Vinifera seed extract, good for restoring the skin's elasticity, and Citrullus Lanatinus, fruit extract for skin cell regeneration. Saint-Germain looks to be interested, but he interjects. I'm afraid these simply will not do. I need something that will bring color into my cheeks. Something to redden my lips. Chills start to run down Charlotte's spine. The end of the legend comes back to her. Sometime in the early part of the 20th century, the Saint-Germain showed up in the U.S., specifically the French Quarter of New Orleans. Within a couple of weeks, he'd won over the movers and shakers of the city with his brilliant parties. Guests noticed that he did not eat but drank glasses of bread throughout the evening. He was quite the ladies' man. One night, he was with a woman in his library when she jumped out of the window, crashing to the ground below and breaking her legs. When the police came, she swore to them up and down that Saint-Germain had lunged for her neck trying to take a bite out of her. The residents of New Orleans recount the story to this day. Charlotte stands frozen, horror-stricken. He says, 
The eternally living can be good or bad at any given moment, just like immortals. Unfortunately, I find myself at this moment like a rat backed into a corner, driven by instincts of survival. Saint Germain takes a couple of steps forward. So, Saint Germain takes some steps forward, does he? <laughs> <laughs> what do you yeah. think happens next? Well, that's the curious thing. What, I mean, I'm intrigued about what is meant by survival by Saint Germain. So like, given the metaphysical implications here, what is it that's surviving? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I've got my suspicions, or should I say suspicions, <laughs> of where this may or may not lead, but I've got uh, enough knowledge of you, and the author, <laughs> to know that there may be some twists and spirals involved. Yes, <laughs> very good. <laughs> all right so now we'll go on to the the last segment of the show and uh we'll talk about some real life supposedly stories from online uh to kind of introduce uh next week's story that will this time be written by you bash uh yeah let's go for it sounds good to me babe so yeah uh there was an interesting story i came across um, a person had, and I'm not going to be leaving any names or sources or anything for a multitude of reasons. Just I'm taking this person at their word, whether their word is true or not, that's up to the listener too. Uh, this person walked into an occult apothecary shop, uh, and there was not necessarily anything strange other than perhaps that this person didn't necessarily realize that that's what they had walked into. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of anticipated that they were walking into just uh, a normal pawn shop or like at best a curio shop. Mm, okay. They didn't quite realize that. A knickknack shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, they, they, they said that uh, of their account of it that nothing was necessarily all that strange or jumped out at them particularly until uh, the owner of the shop that they were speaking with um specifically mentioned oh yeah by the way you know you can just summon demons it's just something you can do why not and the person uh, they from what i gathered there was a little bit of trepidation okay. uh because they said nothing felt strange until that moment so that's yeah, not necessarily a typical bus stop conversation <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, they made a point, the owner made a point of saying, uh, you know, it's it's not useful or helpful to fear demons and to understand that society has, so to speak, demonized them. Mm. Um, and I believe that word was in quotations. <laughs> uh, and then the conversation went on a little bit further, but not much further before the owner said these specific words. However, 
If it was my wish for them to appear monstrous and tear me apart, then they would be more than happy to accommodate. Oh dear. And then, lights out. The whole shop went black. What do you mean? A complete power outage. Oh no. But not, uh, sorry, that's not correct. Not a complete power outage, just all the lights because <laughs> the cash register was still going. The stereo apparently what? was still going. Um. And the owner was was inquired it, the 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 person visiting the shop, you know, kind of said like, "Don't you think this is a little fucked up? Mm-hmm. Like, this is weird, right?" And the owner just at first didn't respond at all, and then again, kind of pleading for like some sort of consensus reality. Uh-huh. <laughs> this visitor was like, "Yeah, seriously, what does this just happen?" <laughs> And the owner said, well, yeah, they're, uh, they're motion detector lights. And tried okay. to brush it off that way while going around manually pressing uh-huh. all the light switches to turn them back on. Uh-huh. Which is quite contradictory and strange. Uh, so anyway, moving on. Uh, the same individual, not the owner, but the individual experiences. He, he goes out to a sort of a, ha- a hibachi restaurant with his wife mm. and you know he's like ah, i had a weird day like let's go out for dinner and his fortune cookie was empty okay just not that big of a deal but mm-hmm. a little bit strange mm-hmm. felt that it was notable uh and then later that night after the dinner uh his wife was was making their bed and she asked, oh, is there a reason that you've got this quarter under your pillow? What? He said, what? What are you talking about? There's no... And and she shows him the quarter and she's like, yeah, is there a reason that's there? And he's like, uh, no, I didn't put it there. I don't know. Maybe we'll just take it as a sign of good luck. Why not? It's a weird little 1988 quarter. Well, not even weird. That's the weird part. Perfectly ordinary 1988 quarter. Uh, so he says, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep it for good luck. I'm sorry. Go just ahead. as a person who's uh, into um, numerology, I quickly did that in my head. And that comes to a number eight, which is fortune. Mm-hmm. Just a little throwback to that little fortune cookie. Yes, yes. And uh, it's, and the person did note that, which I find curious as well. What? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if they made the connection between fortune or not. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they did make the, the eight connection there. Wow. Um, so they decide, well, this is probably a good thing. We'll err on the side of benefit. So uh, he decides it's a, it's a lucky token. So I'm going to take it with me when I go for this job interview. And so he does. Okay. Uh, I'm really disappointed to tell our listeners that I've got no clue whether or not he got the job. <laughs> <laughs> it was not part of the story, and it should have been. But mentions that he lost the quarter somewhere along the way. And when he gets home, he's taking off his, you know, his best suit that he wore for the interview, whatever. And he's mm-hmm. like looking for it in his pocket. And he's like, oh, shit, that's a lot. Whatever, it's gone. And uh, then uh, I believe it was a day or two after that, uh, he's getting ready for bed and the exact same quarter 1988 <laughs> is sitting on the side of the bed not even under the pillow this time but just like in blatant full obvious look at me view Ooh. 
So he's curious as to whether or not there's something to do with, as you mentioned, the numerology, mm -hmm. um, but also like, why would this just happen to have happened? Mm -hmm. So it made me think of the potential effects of not closing a ritual. Mm. Uh, so there's there's some other stories that I've come across. Um, so would the rich? Sorry to interrupt. Would the ritual no. have been just the act of entering that shop and having that short discussion with that the the shop owner about de demonism? Yes, and I mean, in this person's defense, I don't think that they walked in knowing that they were going to become part of a ritual Ooh. and so it doesn't really give you much option for closing it if you don't have an idea that it's going on oh dear but i mean that is essentially how advertising works mm, so i mean we're all subject to that to some degree advertising mm. is a ritual that never closes because it doesn't tell the subject that they're part of the ritual right right but we won't go too much into <laughs> no. that tangent no no but um on on that though, um, there was someone who was summoning summoning uh, Bethor from. Who's sorry? Uh, Bethor is a, a particular grimoric spirit, um, uh, I believe, from the Goetia, if I'm not mistaken. I, so grimoire is a magical text, and yeah. he, he appears in that, and and maybe as a what we would call now a demon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I prefer for people to understand the sort of Greco conception of daemon, uh, kind of similar to the Roman idea of genius, um, and not so much the sort of Judeo-Christian, you must suck if you are a demon mm. kind of a notion. Um, but with that said, yeah, it's it's a, what others... Like Agrippa, for example, would have called intelligences. Um, John Dee also would have probably agreed with that for terminology. Pe for people who don't know, uh, Agrippa uh, mm. is uh, showing up in the next story, and he's a person who wrote books about grimoires, and in a in in a sense has his yes. his work as a, a grimoire. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and I mean, there's 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 questions about his disavowal of this life work as well, um, and also questions about the authenticity of him authoring the the fourth of his his most famous books, uh, the the books of occult philosophy. Um, he's generally known and attributed to the first three, and then the fourth is kind of a, a spurious. And questionable thing that is added on but I, I don't these are kind of semantic points that aren't necessary but I personally think that yes absolutely he was aware of them he knew them uh, he may not have been author of them very much like how H.P. Blavatsky in her setting out of things very adamantly at, at the outset said you know I consider myself the writer of a book that does not mean I think of myself as the author of its content okay um, and they get that sort of thing. So anyway, this fellow was uh, summoning Bethor, and uh, he didn't find that he was having a whole lot of success. There was there was not a lot of 
phenomenological proof of the efficacy of his ritual. Okay. Uh, apart from receiving a little bit of tooth pain, mm. uh, like notable tooth pain that lasted and persisted. Um, but then a few nights later, there was ball lightning in his bedroom that woke him okay, and, and this his is wife. The, just to be clear, this is the same guy with a quarter, and he decided to work with a quote-unquote demon? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not. Uh, it's uh, a different individual with a, with a different experience, but I, I think that it, it speaks to the importance of closure of ritual. Right, right. So, uh, yeah. So, so this this other fella, a, a completely different person than the previous story, but again tied to it in the lack of closure of a ritual. Uh, summons Belthor or Bethor. Sorry, uh, doesn't seem to notice anything right off the hop, other than some pain in the tooth. And then mm. a few nights later, be, so here's here's the part of the okay. The pain in the tooth prevented him from focusing, Mm -hmm. prevented him from following through and closing up the ritual in a tidy manner, right? So he goes home without having done the entirety of it uh, and effectively brings it home with him as a result. And so uh, I think he said it was three nights later. Um, Him and his wife are just fast asleep in bed. Another important number. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, him and his wife are fast asleep in bed, and this ball lightning just erupts in their bedroom, in their home. Ball lightning? Yes. Ball like lightning an orb? Specifically. Yes. Whoa. Okay. It erupts. All right. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it did some amount of physical damage, um, and it woke both him and his wife up in the dead of the night. Creepy. Uh, right? Right. Uh, there's um, another story from this same person who had summoned uh, Bethor. Uh, they at one point had also summoned Hagel, um, another grimoire spirit from uh, Goetic lore. Uh, and I'm going to just, I, I don't necessarily like using quotes, but I'm going to use the quote from the story itself as posted by the experiencer. I have never seen anything in my expensive obsidian scrying mirror, but I've seen clear, bright visions in a bowl of tap water. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that really ties into a lot of, uh, a lot of what people need to pee paying a lot more attention to and the sort of notion of decentralizing and demystifying and degrandizing magic letting it be a part of your daily life just like washing your hands Mm. and also remember to wash your hands of the ceremony and close it up Exactly, exactly. Otherwise, you might bring COVID or demons on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, next week, your story that you wrote is about Cornelius Agrippa, um, grimoires that he wrote, and uh, demons and or spirits. Is that right? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, and it's it's also partially touching on uh, some of the older influences and uh, you know the the shoulders of giants upon which he stood, so mm-hmm. to speak. Very interesting. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Take care. Part two. Part two. Part. Partie <laughs> Catherine the Great and Madame Pompadour. Pompadour. try to use fresh plants like these, but dried ones do suffice for hard ones hard to For ones hard to, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the alchemy. The book is about Nyeton. The book, three, two, one, go.